and sweater and sneakers. At six feet and only 140 pounds, his slender body, gaunt and freckled face, and full head of tousled brown hair made him seem younger than his thirty years. Unlike so many members of the House who self-consciously dressed the part, Kennedy reflected his sense of entitlement in his informal dress. But it did not encourage an impression of maturity, and it was difficult for most colleagues to take him seriously. He initially struck veteran congressman as the son of a famous family who had inherited his office rather than earned it. Sometimes he didn't impress them at all. Well, how do you like that? he asked his congressional office staff one morning. Some people got into the elevator and asked me for the fourth floor. A visit to New Ross, a market town on the banks of the Barrow River, fifty miles east of Lismore, filled some of Jack's time in Ireland. Kathleen, who spent the day playing golf with her guests, did not join him. Instead, Pamela Churchill, the divorced wife of Winston's son Randolph, whom Jack asked rather quietly, rather apologetically, went along. New Ross was not casually chosen. As they approached with only a letter from his Aunt Loretta, his father's sister, to guide him, Jack stopped to ask directions to the Kennedy house. "'Which Kennedys will it be that you'll be wanting?' the man replied. Jack tried a little white farmhouse on the edge of the village with a front yard full of chickens and geese. A lady, surrounded by six kids, looking just like all the Kennedys, greeted him with suspicion. After sending for her husband, who was in the fields, the family invited Jack and Pamela for tea in their thatched-roof cottage with a dirt floor. Though Pamela was impressed with the family's simple dignity, she compared the visit to a scene from Erskine Caldwell's Tobacco Road. Kathleen was angry when Jack returned late for dinner. Did they have a bathroom? she asked snidely. The successful striving of her great-grandparents, grandparents, and parents, the unceasing ambition of the Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys, had catapulted the family into another realm, an ocean and a century apart from the relatives left behind in Ireland. In America, anything was possible. The Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys were living proof of the proposition. For most of the family, these Kennedys of New Ross were something foreign, something best ignored or forgotten, but not for Jack. Jack had only rudimentary knowledge about his distant ancestors. He knew that his great-grandfather, Patrick Kennedy, had come to East Boston during the great potato famines of the late 1840s, worked as a cooper making wagon staves and whiskey barrels, married Bridget Murphy, and fathered three daughters and a son before he died of cholera in 1858, when only thirty-five. Jack also knew that his great-grandfather on his mother's side, Thomas Fitzgerald, had clung to his farm in Ireland until 1854, when the famine drove him to America as well. Initially settling in Acton, twenty-five miles west of Boston, his impoverishment as a farmer forced him to take up life in Boston's North End Irish ghetto, a crowded slum of wooden tenements. What vivid sense of family history there was began with Jack's two grandfathers, Patrick Joseph Kennedy and John F. Fitzgerald, both impressively successful men who achieved local fame and gave their children the wherewithal to enjoy comfortable lives. Patrick Joseph Kennedy was born in 1858, the year his father died. At age 14, P.J., as he was called, 
left school to work on the Boston docks as a stevedore to help support his mother and three older sisters. In the 1880s, with money he had saved from his modest earnings, he launched a business career by buying a saloon in Haymarket Square. In time, he bought a second establishment by the docks. To capitalize on the social drinking of upper-class Boston, P.J. purchased a third bar in an upscale hotel, the Maverick House. Before he was thirty, his growing prosperity allowed him to buy a whiskey importing business, P.J. Kennedy and Company, that made him a leading figure in Boston's liquor trade. Likeable, always ready to help less fortunate fellow Irishmen with a little cash and some sensible advice, P.J. enjoyed the approval and respect of most folks in East Boston, a mixed Boston neighborhood of upscale Irish and Protestant elite. Beginning in 1884, he converted his popularity into five consecutive one-year terms in the Massachusetts Lower House, followed by three two-year terms in the State Senate. But campaigning, speech-making, and legislative maneuvering were less appealing to him than the behind-the-scenes machinations that characterized so much of Boston politics in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. After leaving the Senate in 1895, P.J. spent his political career in various appointive offices, elections commissioner and fire commissioner, as the backroom boss of Boston's Ward 2 and as a member of his party's unofficial board of strategy, the power brokers who chose candidates for local and statewide offices and distributed patronage. There was time for family, too. In 1887, P.J. married Mary Augusta Hickey, a member of an affluent lace-curtain Irish family from the upscale suburb of Brockton. The daughter of a successful...